When I was in high school, a long, long, long time ago, um, I was a freshman at Grand Island High, and there was a, uh, a, uh, uh, a twins by the name of Rob and Paul Shank, who were seniors at the time, four years ahead of me. <clears throat> the only reason I know them is because they were like the most popular kids in the whole school. They were, uh, they were identical twins. They were Jewish, and they both looked like John Lennon, which was really cool. They had long, flowing black hair, hippie-like, and all of the giddy girls just could not get enough of Rob and Paul. And um, re- remarkably, gloriously, um, the Lord got a hold of both of them. They both came to the Lord Jesus. Both of them were redeemed. One wound up going into the Roman Catholic Church and uh, the other into the charismatic movement. But then several years later, in the, in the, I think it was in the mid to eight, late 80s, after I had been converted for about maybe seven or eight years, lo and behold, on the front of Life magazine was a picture of, I can't remember which, because they both look the same, Rob or Paul holding uh, an aborted baby in his hands. And the whole topic was um, Operation Rescue and abortion and so forth. And I'll never forget one of the pictures as you open that big, luxurious magazine. It was a beautiful magazine. And it had a picture of Paul or Rob. They were praying. He was sitting, kneeling in the middle of a street, praying regarding this abortuary. And the pro-abortion side, of course, they were, they were on the opposite side. And they, the, the photographer got this picture of Rob with a look of peace upon his face as he's just praying in the street. And a woman who was just filled with wrath and anger just right next to his head. It was such a stark contrast. It was almost like that from that movie, um, what was it, with Sigourney Weaver? Alien, where the alien comes and he's right next to the, to the woman's head. The picture of the world's wrath, anger, no peace. And this godly man bowing in humble submission to the Lord. It's such a stark contrast. Um, It shows the dividing line between those who know Christ and those who don't. We find that peace here in the closing uh, chapter of the Gospel of Luke as we've been kind of pushing towards this very event all the way since verse 1. Um, Luke is kind of bringing this out as something of a crescendo. We know that the tomb is empty. We've heard the message from the angels. Finally, the two on the road to Emmaus get a peek of the risen Savior. They finally see him, but off he goes. And we know that Simon Peter has seen him. But now he appears to them all and surprises them. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit, seeing a ghost, and he allays those fears. And uh, they all seem to need the same lesson that Thomas would need the following week as he invites them to come and see, I am not an apparition. I am not a spirit. Come and put your fingers in my nail prints. See the wounds that I still bear. And finally, it dawns on them, this is really the Lord. The same Lord who died is now risen indeed and is alive. And by the end of the episode, they are so thrilled The language of 41, isn't that glorious? They could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. 
They see it, but they still can't drink all of it in. The risen Prince of Peace appears and pronounces peace upon his disciples. Their response is one of fear uh, or, uh, uh, and dread. So unexpected is this appearance to them that they can't even believe their eyes. And finally, as it were, their eyes adjust to this new light. And their attitude comes around and they rejoice and they still can't hardly believe it. It's almost like those times where you say, if somebody pinch me, am I dreaming? Is this really real? Why? Because it's too good to be true. You understand that the, the, the message of, the, of a Savior who has overcome sin and death and has bought heaven for us. These are the greatest things that you can possibly believe. Nothing higher, nothing greater than this. There's nothing that we can possibly receive greater than this. There's nothing that we can possibly have greater than the risen Savior as our King, as our Lord and Savior. Anything else, everything else falls short in comparison of Christ, who is our peace. Is there anything like the Lord Jesus, the only and full Savior and Redeemer, and the God of the universe saying, peace to you. God saying, peace to you. I give you peace. There are several, at least seven facets of this wonderful and instructive greeting worth our study and faith here in the brief time that we have tonight. I want us to take this simple phrase, peace be to you, and who it is that is speaking, and take it and turn it around and look at it from several different angles. The first thing is that we want to see that it is the God of all who speaks here. This is the Lord himself, Jesus, the word who was with God, the word who was God, who speaks these words. This is the God who smiles, and you are smiled upon. There is nothing that can overcome God. If God blesses you, there's nothing that can stop that blessing from happening. If God curses you, there is no hope for you. He is the all in all. If he frowns upon you, you are frowned upon. If he smiles upon you, you are smiled upon. He stills the waves of the sea and he says, peace be still, and they are. Let us be still and know that he is the Lord God indeed. As Thomas himself would say a week from this episode, the Lord of me and the God of me, he says literally in the Greek, my Lord and my God. There is nothing too hard for him. It is divine peace. It is God's own son who speaks peace to us. That's the first facet. And then secondly, it is God who has become man who speaks these lines. In other words, these are not words from heaven, from God, that shine above uh, uh, the whole universe in the heights of heaven, even though we can say that that is true enough. The peace of God is something that is true throughout all of the universe. But this is the God who has now stooped to the lowest to feel your infirmities, to touch your woe, and to lift you up to glory. He comes next to you. He comes in the midst of his disciples. And it's he who whispers here and declares peace within your hearing. He comes to you near and dear, intimately. He comes to you as bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. He is your brother. He is your friend. As we sang in this morning's service, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. He is the head of your life. 
You are united to him by faith. You are as close as you can be to him. And he comes to these disciples who had failed him. Nevertheless, he loves them still and pronounces this benediction upon them. Peace be to you. It's the peace of God the Son. It's the peace of the Son of Man, the God-Man. And then thirdly, it is the Redeemer of God's elect who speaks these words. This one who is specially unique, chosen to be the mediator between God and man and to bring us together and to make peace between the two. You understand something, that the peace in the Bible, um, as has long ago been shown, going at least back to the times of Augustine, peace in the Bible, whether it's shalom in the Old Testament or whether it is Irene in the New It is not merely the cessation of war. That's true enough. The Lord puts down that opposition in in due time. He has removed all opposition to those that he would bless. But he has brought wholeness to us. That's the gospel. That's the peace that is spoken of in Scripture. He has made us whole. He's not just removed the impediments. He has brought us into completeness. He has removed the opposition, and God is now propitious. Your God is a reconciled God. Your God does not hold anger against you anymore. He is one with you. You now have peace with God through this one who is so well titled in Isaiah chapter 9. He is the Prince of Peace. All of the government is upon his shoulders He is the mighty God. He is wonderful counselor. Um, He is the everlasting father in the sense that, that he oversees and shepherds his people. And he has brought what was so divided into one. He is the head of the covenant. And then fourthly, let us consider the fact that the one who speaks here and says, peace be to you, is one who speaks as as fresh from the grave. I mean, just hours before he was dead. Hours before he laid in the tomb. Before the angels moved the stone and he was quickened. As we read in the confession, it's, it's generally applied to the Father. The Father raised up the Lord Jesus. But the other two persons of the Trinity are involved. The Son takes his life again to himself. The Holy Spirit quickened him in his resurrection. So he who is fresh from the grave speaks, who now wears, as it were, afresh the keys of hell and death. He walks forth in the, in the very dawn of his victory that he has accomplished upon the cross. He has just now returned from the greatest battlefield that will ever be seen in all the universe, where he overcame the devil and won uh, salvation for his people by dying in their stead. It's there at the cross he took the sword from the hand of his fallen enemy and chopped off his head, as it were, with his own weapon. It was by death that the devil held people in bondage. He took the sword of death and by his own death has slain the enemy. Death now is done because sin is done. And there is no more wrath in God uh, towards us, as we just saw in point three, that he is the redeemer, the reconciler. Jesus is the prince of life. He dug the grave of the grave. He has buried death and hell and judgment against his people in his death. He killed death dead. 
so that now the Christian does not fear these things. It's he who is so victorious with all of these gifts who comes and says, peace be unto you. And then if he is fresh from the grave, it is also the one fresh alive. He is uh, risen. He is newly resurrected bodily and not a mere spirit or ghost who speaks here. And this ultimately is the source of resurrection. This resurrected one is not just the first of all others in kind. He is uniquely the risen one in the fact that he has now this new life by which all the life of the new heavens and the new earth is going to come forth. It's this one who is the apex or the centerpiece and, and, and the all in all of God's purpose for eternity who says these lines to us. It is from him from whom all blessings must flow to the uttermost parts of the earth. This, you see, is not just the beginnings of the preaching of the gospel uh, to, the, to the widest extent of this fallen planet, uh, to go to the uttermost parts of the earth and to bring this good news. It must spread eventually to the whole universe, that this whole world must be made new. And Jesus is the one who's going to make it so. He is the rock of eternity upon which we safely build our lives. So he's fresh from the battle, victorious. He is alive and resurrected now afresh. This new resurrected condition in which he is, by whom all will be raised, in particular his people, and enjoy everlasting life, says, peace be unto you. And then sixthly, this is the one who could have said quite the opposite to you. This is the one who could have frowned you away from his presence. He could have set you in the wrath to the uttermost, uh, to those who reject me and will not have me as their Lord. The disciples hear at the reaction of the presence and statement of Jesus. He says, peace, but they have anything but peace as they're startled and they are frightened and thought they were seeing a ghost. These disciples were frightened, but they did not need to be. They could not be more safe and secure with Jesus within the doors. But understand something, others are not so safe. Others are not worried or fearful, but should be. Um, And yet this is the one who extends the olive branch of peace, even to his worst earthly enemies. Jesus could have rejected us. He could have withheld the gospel, but he gave the gospel freely. This is remarkable. The very one who would bring peace with God, peace with one another, peace within ourselves, as we'll see in a moment, has become an object of hatred, loathing, fear, scoffing, as we heard earlier in both singing and in our prayer. The, the, the Lord could have spoke to us in this way, but he does not. And oh, how people should come and make peace with God uh, through this everlasting way. And then seventhly, he is the one who also, uh, who alone brings the greatest and real peace that we need. He brings not just a peace or some peace. He brings his peace. It says in one of the, one of the uh, chapters in John's uh, gospel with the upper room discourse, my peace I leave unto you. He shared his peace as though he has one peace, not a peace for us and a peace for himself. Um, we're using P-E-A-C-E, not your grammar lesson today, P-I-E-C-E. Is that right? Whew, gotta get those E's and I's correct. Um, 
He gives us his own peace, not as the world gives, give I unto you. This is precious, says Charles Ross. The contrast is between the world's manner of giving and Christ's giving. The world gives grudgingly. The world gives deceitfully. Whenever the world is saying, peace, peace, you better beware. Christ gives cheerfully. Christ gives sincerely. The world gives you but empty words, a mere powerless wish when it says, peace be unto you. But Christ's gift is real. His is substantial. His is efficacious. Like we said at the very beginning, if he blesses you, you're blessed. If he gives you peace, you must have peace. If you don't have peace in your life, what's happening? What's going on? What kind of a peace are you leaning upon? The world's good wishes can, at the best, extend only to the life that now is. Christ's blessing is eternal. That's the kind of peace that he brings. Peace be unto you. Now think, uh, now think of this great sevenfold peace of God. Contrast that with the peace of the God of this world. You know, you have to understand something. It's not just having peace or no peace. There's always this middle ground called counterfeit peace. That's always something that we have to deal with. Satan promises peace. The devil promises peace. There is no peace. There's true peace and counterfeit peace. His, the devil's peace, is the peace of the grave. His is the peace of what is fleeting. His is the peace that brings you into bondage. It's a remarkable thing that when God takes something away in your life, it's to your benefit. When Satan gives something in your life, it's to your harm. It's to your diminishment. How many of you have read Nathaniel Hawthorne's rendering of the Pilgrim's Progress entitled Celestial Railroad? Any of you familiar with that? Nathaniel Hawthorne writ this, wrote, has written this wonderful little monogram called the Celestial Railroad. And basically, um, he takes the Pilgrim's Progress and sees what the, what the church and what the culture of his day were doing in this modernizing uh, of the approach to life in his day. Imagine what he would say today. And so he recasts the whole Pilgrim's Progress in a modernized version. Instead of a difficult pilgrimage on the way to the celestial city, a railroad is built. And the railroad takes you over all of the hard parts of the Christian life, all the ups and downs that you read of in Bunyan's classic. But you begin to realize that the one who is driving this train is Beelzebub. And the smoke that comes out of this. And so this person that gets on the train against his better judgment winds up going through this trail and at the very end thinks he's going to heaven but winds up in hell. And the conductor jumps off. That's the kind of peace that the wicked one will dupe men with. We know that we want peace. We know that we need peace. But he gives the kind of peace that really is more harmful than it does good. God gives you peace even in the midst of affliction, suffering, hardship. See the great stories of God's people, like we mentioned earlier of Mr. Shank, being able to be at peace even as the angry, spitting, brutal, hate-filled voices um, and the scoffing and spurn that he, uh, that he felt there. He was at peace. His, God's peace, stands in the midst of these sufferings and hardships. The world, the flesh, and the devil give turmoil and unrest in the midst of peace. 
It amazes me to see how often things can be great on the outside. And yet, if we don't have the peace of God, we can still bring turmoil into what is good. We are not brought into true peace by the ways of the flesh. I'm reminded of one of the great lines from one of my favorite movies, Braveheart. As William Wallace is uh, interacting with the queen about making, making peace in the tent there. And, and she says, "My here, I'm giving you all this gold, and I'm giving you all these riches, and here's all these prizes, and uh, we will not pursue you if you withdraw your, your troops. And he says, so you're trying, to, you're trying to buy me. And she says, well, yes. She says, this is how peace is made. And I love the line that immediately comes out. He says, slaves are made in this way. The gospel peace frees us. Well, as we close and wrap up, let's consider just a few qualities of this blessed peace in Christ briefly for us. Do you have the peace of Christ? Does Christ say unto you with this benediction, peace be unto you? If the peace of Christ reigns in you, that means you have peace of mind. Um, The truth of God's word um, lays our our minds to a proper rest and satisfies our thoughts. Our minds are no longer agitated like they were before we were redeemed. How troubled the mind is without the truth, without Christ, without the gospel. They live and, and, and dwell in darkness in sin, in error, and in folly. The uh, unbelieving mind is at enmity with God and is addicted to what is opposed to God. Oh, but what wonders of calm and rest is that mind that is stayed upon thee, Jehovah. As we rest upon Christ, our minds have an anchor about them that we can be at peace. It soothes our thoughts. And then secondly, of course, the peace of heart. The calming and comforting of those rough winds of our affections and our desires. Deep peace is to settle in to those who hear Christ say, peace to you. Peace that surpasses understanding, which can face all that is in the world. We have this peace that anchors us through the trials of this life. We have a peace that God tells us is going to shepherd us through the great and awesome judgment that this world is to face at the end. It is this peace that makes us able to smile upon eternity and know that all is well with our soul. And all of it is so because of one word, and that one word is Jesus. Jesus, who is your peace, gives you peace of heart and peace of mind. And then peace of conscience. Fulfilling the law's demands as well as the law's judgments Christ communicates this peace to us that, that if we fail, when we fail, we have a mediator. We have an advocate. We have a sacrifice. How righteous is God's peace? If God's peace were not built upon what is righteous, true, and good, it could not satisfy the conscience. The conscience would say, no, um, I, I, de- I deserve to be judged because nobody else has carried my judgment. But the conscience, the Christian conscience, has peace because we know Jesus bore that judgment for us. He took the cup, he drank the wrath of God, and he finished it to the very bottom. It's the blood of an everlasting covenant held in the pierced hands of the Lord himself. 
that assuages our conscience and brings peace to our soul. And then lastly, this peace that we enjoy is everlasting, eternal peace, in particular with with God. Peace with God that surpasses understanding. Um, Being justified by faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, we have peace with God, says Romans 5 and verse 1. And if we have peace with God, then ultimately all things are going to be at peace with us. The angels will be at peace with us. And that's a pretty good thing. I mean, I'm not into thinking about angels all that much. But, you know, if an angel wanted to take you out, um, he'll take you out. You don't want to tangle with an angel. Angels are powerful. But they're at peace with you because you're at peace through the blood of the Lamb. All of heaven's inhabitants are at peace with you. When you come into heaven because you are the property of the Lord Jesus, you're not going to get a look of, why are you here? Why are you brought into this place? Like I experienced once in a very foolish moment in my life before I was a Christian, celebrating somebody's 18th birthday in downtown Buffalo, and our car broke down, but we wanted to go to a bar. So we went to a bar and foolishly decided to walk into a biker bar. 18 years old, I'm a little string bean. All of us are little kids walking into this. I still remember walking into this bar and this hall just lined with leather-clad, bearded, smelly biker men. And I'll tell you, when we walked through that door, every single eye in that bar just went and looked at us. What are you doing here? And the expression on our face was, what are we doing here? It was awful. And to be honest with you, it, went, it got worse after that but I will not go into details. So, the point is, is that you are at peace with God. You're at peace with one another. You are at peace, ultimately, uh, in yourself. You already have it in principle. You are going to have it in total, in but a short matter of time. What's it going to be like to have perfect peace with no sin, no devil, no temptation, no misery, no failure, no death, when, when, the, when the consummation comes and Christ brings in that final end. Jeremiah Burroughs says, Oh, the blessed state of a believer, of one who has embraced the gospel. He is at peace with God. It is the glory of the Son of God to be the Prince of Peace. The fruits of the Spirit are joy and peace. The gospel is the gospel of peace. The kingdom of God consists of righteousness and peace. The evangelical, the gospel benediction is grace and peace. Peace is an amiable thing, but how lovely, how amiable is peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peace be to you. Father, thank you for your mercies to us in the risen Savior, that these things are secured, not because of us, but because of you, but because of Jesus. Lord, what blessed hands have been extended to us tonight. Help us, Lord, to reflect the divinity of this peace, the humanity of it, and being humbled, the reconciliation of this peace. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, welcoming us uh, into your very presence to enjoy fellowship with uh, the living God. We do thank you, Lord, that the peace that we have has overcome the grave. It's the peace of one who is risen from the dead and can die no more. 
And we thank you, Lord, that you who have shown us such peace could have shown us such wrath and frowned us, as it were, into hell. We thank you, Lord, that we have this great and real peace through Jesus, our Savior. May we walk in the gospel shoe of peace wherever we go. Help us, Lord, to be quick to share this good news to those around us. So, Lord, drive these few little nails home to our hearts tonight and help us to go into a world that needs nothing so badly as the peace of God that surpasses understanding found in the bleeding wounds of our once crucified Savior who now reigns at the right hand of the Father. In his glorious name do we pray. Amen.